0: I hear people say we don't need this war But I say there's some things worth fighting for What about our freedom and this piece of ground We didn't get to keep them by backing down They say we don't realize the mess we're getting in before you start your preaching let me ask you this my friend have you forgotten how it felt that day to see your homeland under fire and her people blown away have you forgotten when those towers fell
1: Kind of have forgotten. Have you now? Well, I, I, I yeah, I mean, I know I remember that I didn't feel good.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you uh, remember that though?
1: I think. I mean, that, that's the question.
2: Yeah, no one remembers shit. You this know, is the thing. People are always like, you know, never forget. And I'm like, one, I wasn't even alive during Pearl Harbor, right? That's true. And two, I can't help but forget. That's just the nature of the brain.
1: And e- so, you know, even if you do have recall, it's not necessarily accurate.
2: Yeah, no, that's the problem.
1: Nine Eleven was the subject of a big study by a bunch of psychologists. Some of them were NYU psychologists, so they were near the site of Nine Eleven, Ground Zero, as it's called. Uh, and they they interviewed like three thousand people one week, one year, and then three years after Nine Eleven, and then I think they did a ten year follow up. And you know, ask them to recite their memories of of that day, and what they found is that people's memories change over time.
2: Yeah, no, it was uh, it was very clever. It was a very clever, you know. I mean, I feel like it was confirming, at least from what I can tell, what yeah. what was understood, anyways, that you know, memories are not well well uh, preserved well, over time, like, if you will. You know, they're um, just
1: like stored in your mind, and then you. You bring them out periodically, right? But it turns out that you're actually recreating them every time you recall.
2: Yeah, that that seems to be the sort of um um these this sort of uh, narrative way of trying to make sense of you know how the neurons are firing or whatever is to sort of think about it like oh well you have these sort of fragments and then and then everything else that yeah. is filled in that you've, even if you remember it vividly, is, uh, is being filled in at the moment. You're not actually recalling it, but constructing it on the fly, um, which is interesting, is interesting, of course. I know on the left, we have, uh, there is a tendency on the left to, uh, and may- maybe this is fading a little bit, but th- that has this sort of epistemological commitment to yeah. to personal experiences yeah,
1: that relies on memory
2: yeah 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 no it's a very much like oh well this person's gonna tell their story and 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 this was a thing for a while and maybe it still is i don't know i have I've been somewhat detached from uh, uh sort of rank and file uh, campus uh driven leftism which is not always on campus but it obviously uh, yeah. continues on with People who graduate, but that was definitely a thing. It was, it was like, well, this person they know, they experienced it, and there was there was always a push also to like uh, uh, tell to give an origin story of your own beliefs. Yeah. That was rooted. Why my elections, yeah. Yeah. I I actually picked up on this as as I got a little bit older, um, like in college and I started realizing, oh, like this is the kind of bullshit they want you to write on like personal statements and whatever. Yeah. You know, like so if I'm trying to get into law school and I'm like want to convince them you know it it's not enough to be like, oh, you know, I read a lot of books and I feel like the labor movement is the way to go. they they, <laughs> they want you to be like Uh, Well, you know, my, uh, and and as was true for me, uh, so many of my family members are in the labor movement and and not like, uh, oh, they're lawyers or whatever, but they're like just rank and file people and I learned the importance of this or that, like that's the kind of shit they want you to really pick up on and like there's this whole universe of it just seems like fake uh like that not, not just in like left circles where someone says well i personally experienced this and so i know and then you're supposed to be like oh well i guess that that settles that even though we know from you know studies of memories that that in fact the causation probably runs the other direction <laughs> that it's not that their personal experiences are informing their politics but for the most part uh the opposite is yeah. happening that they have come to have political views for uh social reasons or intellectual reasons and and that that is actually coloring the way that they um recall their experiences and uh but not only in that context but in every and all every context people demand that kind of yeah uh thing you know trying to get a job or telling why you care about this or whatever at least at that early yeah. stage maybe yeah. now i'm old enough where i can just be like look man you see this you know, see this Should i do come yeah
1: on. you get to a point um, where you're like well i should get this job because i'm good at it <laughs> yes right <laughs> as right. events by my prior work but at first you know i mean journalism is like this but academia is also like yes it.
2: the entry point yeah. is y- about y- narrative and and personal experience. You have
1: to have an origin story that that has led you to this point inexorably. Couldn't Mm -hmm. have gone any other way. This Mm -hmm. this must be the path you take. Right. It can't be like, oh, I'm a curious person. I find people interesting and I'm a good writer. So I think I should be a journalist. It's like, I have a a mission. Yes, yes.
2: Yeah, and I experienced that as well uh, a little bit when I was interviewing for work. Uh, for a while, yeah, you've never
1: been good at that.
2: No, well, they're like, you know, just kind of like tell us about yourself, and I'm like, you know, I'm very good at writing legal things, <laughs> so I'm mean, like really find, good at it. Like, give me a test, I'll show you. I could do some good legal shit. Um, and they, like, I don't know what, what I, you know, which I, now I mean, God, we're getting so far off track, but we're way off it pack. is so bizarre that in this sort of professional space, at least when you're dealing with entering into it, that the norm has developed that is completely at odds with what you would think, you know, is supposed to matter, right? Like, in a, yeah. like a, uh, kind of generic economic sense of how hiring works, you know, uh, a company or a firm or a government or whatever needs a certain set of skills, you come to them and you say, I have these skills and they go, ah, good. That's what we're, what we're looking for. So, and then they hire it. It's like, no, no, no. Yes. <laughs> and like, I guess the other way to look at it is to be like, no, no they're actually selecting for the skill of, of knowing the cultural social cues of how to do these kinds of things right. and like they the, the fact that they have brought you in they've already looked at your credentials such as they are and decided that you are minimally competent yeah. and and that the interview is not about sorting uh who is the most competent but sorting who is the most capable of of filling these social and culture cultural roles and showing that you understand how uh yuppie yeah. life is and that includes uh somehow backfilling a narrative story about why, you know, from a young age you understood the importance of accounting.
1: All true. All uh, true. But technically this is the nine eleven special episode. I know i know uh which is why we opened with the 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 hit have you forgotten
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, and then then when then we answered yes i have
1: why yeah and
2: even though i think i haven't i probably have
1: you know the one but you
2: can't proceed as if right you can't live your life thinking my brain is lying to me right you just have to be like man my brain tells me this is what i felt like this is what happened and so shit i mean this is what happened you know you just can't you can't live life or with that can, level of skepticism. You know, you can
1: say I might not remember with hundred percent accuracy, but I remember with some accuracy. You know, their memories weren't sure, sure, sure. But you don't know what it, which part's
2: accurate and which part's inaccurate.
1: But you know, you can always say whatever it was, it has led me to where I am, and I can say with with accuracy what I feel right now. Yes, although yes. I also maintain that people don't always know what's going on inside them or how they feel. Mm, yeah, and it takes some self-searching. Uh, anyway uh it is uh it is recently the uh, the anniversary of nine eleven uh we were of course both in Texas at the time mm-hmm. uh you know everybody says they remember exactly where they were. I'm not sure I do. I just remember that in I was in fifth grade. And uh, my elementary school teachers were telling us it was Palestine that did it.
2: Mm, that was okay. odd.
1: And then my mom—they
2: had to explain to you what Palestine was. <laughs> I, yeah,
1: I had no idea. <laughs> and and my mom picked me up because uh, she got evacuated. She worked at a federal building, and uh, they she just took me to Jack in the Box. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like afraid. I was like, "Are we going to get hurt?" And she was like, "Probably not. I wouldn't hit suburban Texas if I was a terrorist." Yeah.
2: No. 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 I
1: was like, "Oh, okay." So then you know should i be afraid she was like i wouldn't be and that was that yeah yeah no
2: that makes sense i was not pulled out of school or anything like that so i don't remember exactly what it what it was that happened well where uh, was your
1: your mom was working at the jc penny at the time
2: yeah she was at the she worked at jc penny in the mall um
1: mall never closes never sleeps
2: yeah no i think she just yeah. kept on keeping on with, with her work. And um I don't really, I, mean, I think I vaguely remember a teacher had like a TV. Yeah. And I kinda wanna think though, this may not have been in this instance. I do remember at one point this TV or maybe another's TV. They, they you know, they had a TV on these carts. Yeah. And this oh, is yeah. how they rationed TVs is they were like affixed to carts and you would move them. Yeah. To, and then, the, the, you know, not every classroom got a TV, but with the cart system you could. But the TVs were meant to really play like movies. Yeah. VHSs, I guess, at the time, maybe DVDs, I don't know. And so it didn't really have good reception. And some kid was like, you know, you can take a, you can take a paper clip and you can sort of shove it into where the antenna's supposed to go. Surely not. And that'll get you some stuff. And like they did that. And I don't remember if that was on the 9-11 thing or if that, it seems like it probably was because that was the only time yeah. we would have tried to get cap- live news. Yeah. yeah. Capture over the air TV. Did it, um, did it work? I remember it working. Yeah. Like, like it improved the picture. I don't know. You know, it wasn't Good work kid. It wasn't great, but uh, yeah, some sort of fucking MacGyver ass kid.
1: <laughs> Do you remember uh, speaking of those cart TVs, the eyewitness documentaries, little little mini documentaries on like dinosaurs, rainforests, mm, no. deserts? the The theme song they were they were narrated by like Martin Sheen and uh, the theme song is like do doo do 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 doo do 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 doo and you're like kind of going through a museum and it's like early c g i were
2: these like laser discs?
1: I think they were on tape I, I, as a kid, my parents I liked them so much we used to watch them at school from time to time, and I liked them so much uh my parents got me like a set of them one Christmas, and I watched them all the damn time. well, that's very sweet, yeah, just a side note. All right. I mean, it's kind of sad on a certain level because I was dorky enough to watch little mini documentaries. No,
2: no, no. It's important you learn things. About
1: nature. I like to learn, especially about animals as a small child. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, big side note. So a lot of, a lot of uh, country artists commemorated their feelings about 9-11. There was Have You Forgotten? There was. Uh, That's
2: his only song, by the way. Daryl Worley. I don't think he ever... It's just moved him. You know, I mean he has other songs, I'm sure, but that was the only thing that ever sort of came out of any note, though I think that was obviously a long ways off um from there because he's lamenting the fact that you know people have forgotten and are saying things like, "Man, I don't know if we should be be in that war," and he's like, "Fuck you, <laughs> they attacked us, there and was, then he suggests uh, that yeah. to counter the uh, epidemic levels of forgetting that <laughs> the TVs should just run nine eleven on a loop every yeah, day. Like like Groundhog Day, sort of.
1: Traumatic for people to yeah. kind of re-experience that every day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel
2: like I've, once you've seen it on a loop for many days, you probably would, you know, it's gonna f- fade again. Like, I don't feel like his solution works because I think it's no, yeah, the I nature definitely. of the thing is like you've exposed to it. Okay, I know, I know. And you sort of move on and like, you, you, you would have to be new. You can't just run the thing on the loop. You'd have to find some other new angle to get me interested, you know? Yeah. But, you know, that's why you don't look to country music songs necessarily for for solutions to problems.
1: Uh, True. There was We'll Put a Boot in Your Ass.
2: Yeah. It's uh, the American way. Mm-hmm. Tobias uh, Keith.
1: Yeah. There was uh, America Will Survive by Hank Williams Jr.,
2: Mm, okay it was a rewritten
1: version of his 1982 hit country boy will survive yeah
2: that's real sad that's real sad god almighty he must have been like 70 years old updated it uh geez that's sad i never even heard about that
1: american soldier by toby keith only Mm -hmm. in america by brooks and dunn (laughs) where the stars and stripes and the eagle fly by aaron tippen
2: where 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 is it
1: in america oh okay Uh, courtesy of the red white and blue of course yeah
2: tobias had like a whole uso like album basically like he was ready to go he's like man i better get some troop ass songs so that i can go fly over there and you know
1: do the uso show yeah
2: which i don't know if that's lucrative or not but you know that that he was real into that
1: if you're into soldiers it's probably really cool it's funny
2: yeah it's funny like he i don't know why i remember the music video for this song or one of them and And he's, like, he, he like, switches later in life to, like, having kind of, like, I don't know, sort of, like, a plaid cowboy-looking shirt and whatever. But, like, when he's younger, he's wearing, like, these baggy-ass clothes and shit. And I feel like this was an inflection point for that. And there was some crossover where he's still wearing, like, weird, like, baggy-ass, like, hoodings and shit, like, singing country music, uh, which, you know, is typically a, more of a tight closed genre um but but yeah he was into it man he really cashed cashed in on that shit he, did, he, he was a democrat that. though also i remember they would mention hmm. that and it was really weird he also had a chain restaurant in oklahoma called um called i like this bar and grill okay because i think he had a song called i like this bar oh. and so he's oh. like shit man i better just open up some restaurants called I Like This Bar and Grill. I think it was something like that. Anyways, I would not recommend if you have a lot of money getting suckered into opening up restaurants. That seems to be something they they target celebrities with.
1: I wouldn't do that if I were you. That doesn't actually seem lucrative.
2: Don't forget uh, the Dixie Chicks.
1: Yes, yeah. Uh, there was who all, were right
2: who were the only people in america who was right they were right like weirdly as as that is you know you look at the polls is like 90 percent were like i sure do love george bush <laughs> and they were like bush sucks fuck them and then yeah, and then their careers ended but you know that's a just martyrdom
1: even uh even amy grant had a nine eleven song i don't know why uh, oh
2: well she's just like she's just like shit man i need to learn <laughs> what happened?
1: You see, it all had to do with American policy in Israel. She needs to read
2: the nine eleven commission report.
1: Uh, yeah, amazing. I had forgotten so many of the nine eleven songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul McCartney did a song "Freedom." <laughs> uh, oh, Sarah that's... mclaughlin "World on Fire."
2: What a sick period.
1: Eh, uh, yeah. Tom Paxton, Eminem. Slayer did Eminem. a song Jihad. Oh, Bruce Springsteen did like thirty. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, you know how that well. Goes. This was a period of
2: incredible earnestness, as as I believe you noted. Yeah, um, so so the, I have
1: a theory that this the, this period of insane earnestness, where uh, you know, especially in the mainstream media and and politicians, so all of the kind of institutions in society, and it's kind of hard to remember now, but at that time you know 2001 the institutions were still relatively strong you know people responded to them uh the presidency congress the media and so on and so forth uh the troops
2: yeah no for sure the at least the response at the time uh the libs took made no effort with whatever power they had in cultural institutions or whatever to you know to try to i don't know go after bush say hey why couldn't you protect us or something like that which is for sure the kind of shit you'd see today oh yeah instead it was just like let's support our brave uh president against the enemies abroad we must unite etc etc which was uh you know uh you know uh for a lot of uh centrist libs and so on in the media even today they're probably like that is so great, that is so honorable, but of course that impulse is what, you know, gives uh, someone like Bush the uh, ability to uh, get us stuck in perpetual war that we're still not even fucking out of. So, but definitely earnest support, love for, you know, just just sort of naive type, type uh, earnestness about the president and politics and the nation and that kind of shit
1: and it was completely inescapable it was everywhere i mean you know that's one of the things that i remember most acutely about that period was that this this earnest patriotism and a kind of specifically christian patriotism because it was contrasted with you know the jihadis was everywhere And, you know, there was a guy right after 9-11 outside the local Whataburger in our city, which was near the Albertsons, uh, previously the Skaggs. Albertsons. Yeah. It's your store. It was in that big parking lot, the Albertsons, the, like, Sally Beauty Supply, all that shit. There was a CC's and then a Whataburger. And there was a guy out in that parking lot selling airbrush 9-11 shirts, and people were buying the shit out of them. Hell yeah. You know, it was like the airbrush shirts you get at the mall but they just had like eagles with tears mm-hmm. and stuff like that and people were lining up for them. I mean, it was insane.
2: There was a lot of swag. There was
1: a ton of swag.
2: You could get coins, you could get
1: flags,
2: shirts, yeah. you could get hats, you know, remember, you could even get lighters, which maybe was a little bit of a piercing of the huh. of the unified front on earnestness. Yeah. Um, but
1: and 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 I think that that climate of of total earnestness, complete institutional domination by this particular narrative, and you know, it's not bad to be sympathetic. Obviously, you know, you feel terrible for people who were hurt and hurt, lost family members. That's awful. Uh, but but part of the earnest patriotism narrative uh, prevented any questioning of American policy. Well,
2: yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah. I mean, it, it's got to be two sided, or at least like. Whatever you think of this sort of lib response, which is basically total surrender of any kind of like political effort to, you know, oppose the president. um, Whatever you think about, oh, well, they were they were just being good, sympathetic people. The uh, you know, from what we can tell, certainly the Republicans, uh, you know, Dick Cheney and Rumsfeld and and then that crew they they were not uh as starry-eyed and uh you know uh, childlike yeah. about it they were let's get to work we want to invade this and that country let's use this to make it happen like they were calculating yeah. and so obviously if one side is calculating and the other side is just waving a flag like a fucking idiot <laughs> um that's not going to p- play out well uh, and and it did not play out well obviously but, yeah
1: and and I, I mean i remember there was no discussion going on in the mainstream media anyway of like well what was the situation that you know precipitated this what what were they mad about what were they trying to get I remember that's when the phrase "they hate us for our freedom." Oh yeah,
2: yeah. No, no. They they didn't have any. Uh, yeah, yeah. There, w- there was no sense of like real political analysis. No. Um, it was uh, essentially these are uh, <laughs> these are illiberal cave dwelling Muslims. Yeah, they, they hate. hate, us. hate uh, they hate the ballot box. Right. Uh, they, it's like that seems crazy. Uh, aren't there? Closer targets. Uh, so many other democracies <laughs> in the world. Liberal democracies. Like on its face, it seems insane, but obviously is sort of uh, concocted to to avoid any kind of you know serious analysis of motives.
1: Um, right, and and I think that that period where there was that level of of dominance of a single narrative and in utmost earnestness created irony posting as we know it.
2: Well, you know, it does develop, but also, of course, the internet develops at that time, so yeah, it's a and, little and bit I think hard it, to...
1: You know, irony emerges when you have super doctrinaire conformism in the background.
2: It's an interesting point because, you know, there was this wave of people on the internet uh, who are older, like this sort of blogosphere, and then, of course, you've got the younger generation who, you know, are not the net roots type bloggers you know yeah like those are older people who for whatever reason adopted the internet in a kind of way that maybe other people of their age group didn't you know maybe people who are already like in their 20s and 30s but then obviously you have people who are coming up who are like 10 or 11 who are not in that it did seem like that older group had a certain style to them which did continue to be kind of i don't know i guess you could say there was there was snark yeah like that that was definitely a thing um but then uh, it seems like yeah right about the time that um that uh that younger group who is just getting access to computers as they move into that power position of you know 20 and 30 year old entrance into the discourse you get to see their style unfold which is (laughs) much more uh Much more uh irony, shit posting, nihilism, who gives a shit, kind of stuff.
1: And it's like it's a combination of like nihilism, who gives a shit, uh satirizing, kind of dominant, especially earnest patriotism. Oh Uh, yeah. The the humor about the troops, for instance.
2: It's totally lame. I mean, that was the thing. It's like the troops stuff the troops when you know i mean i i ran in i had this problem i now don't, I just remember some of this but the you know to 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 get up and be like god bless the troops god bless the armed forces God, you know whatever and sort of list that off that was seen as like i don't know like like uh uh very uh you know sincere and what a good person like 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 you've just helped a grandmother cross the road or you go to church every day every and like yeah. like there was no sense of like that's lame dude like what the hell are you doing but certainly that developed is like <laughs> if you uh stand up and uh, salute uh you know in this sort of goofy ass almost like propagandistic way you are you were a lame you were yeah. lame <laughs> stupid dweeby nerd
1: type person right um and there, there's been a clip circulating on twitter uh from the aaron sorkin television program the newsroom
2: Mm-hmm. very similar to your newsroom
1: <laughs> well no, I, you know they're cable news i mm-hmm. think news is news. Well, you know, but the medium is a big part of how the newsroom functions. News is news. So, um, uh, in this clip, a bunch of journalists from this cable newsroom are on a plane, and the plane is grounded, it's delayed, and everyone's saying, oh no, was there a terrorist attack? Was there another terrorist attack? They're kind of freaking out. And this male journalist gets up, and for whatever reason, he's really pissed that people are worried there was a terrorist attack, and he's like, listen out, assholes, there wasn't a terrorist attack. And then a flight attendant comes out and she's like, you cannot take control of the cabin.
2: Excuse me, I'm a newsman. Look at my press hat with a thing and it just says press on it. And I also,
1: I thought, I didn't know that you couldn't like speak on a plane well you know the
2: rules are were unclear here i think this was more of a power play more of a social power play you know is the flight attendant gonna win over over the newsman i I don't think you know either one of them necessarily could could call the police in this in this uh, situation so
1: like what if i just wanted to make a general announcement on an airplane like
2: i don't know what the rules are like why could i get
1: up and just start talking to people or (laughs) why not
2: is that illegal i I mean i don't know you talk to the people who sit next to you, I mean, I sure as hell don't, but I see other people do I sometimes. I feel like
1: people make statements sometimes on buses.
2: Oh, yes, oh, so for sure. <laughs> Not just buses, but the trains the too. Uh, yeah, the wow. trains I, I find actually more likely because, uh, you know, bigger audience than the train. <laughs> well,
1: you know, that they, they'll make general statements to the audience. I just feel like I'm in the, the Roman fora. <laughs> you know listening to uh you know just some some opinions people have
2: yeah but but for whatever reason like bus and 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 train transport at least I- intercity is uh just like just like a fucking free-for-all just like oh this is just relax and chill and you can do whatever but planes are like real tight-assed
1: yeah i guess because they're private
2: uh you know people fear flying and yeah all that kind of stuff
1: But uh, so, so he, he, you know, he, he has this power struggle with this flight attendant uh, for whatever reason, which I find really odd. Uh, And then uh, quite suddenly the flight attendant is like, well, I'm just going to have to get the captain.
2: Yeah. I got to go get the big man. Yeah, you know. I I wish you would. I wish you would get that son of a bitch. I'll settle this. I wish you would. I will beat the shit out of him. And
1: so the captain and the co-pilot cool come out, and uh, and and the guy suddenly views uh the captain. the the newsman views the captain, and he he kind of becomes uh, I guess like starstruck by him. Uh, he he looks like he's getting horny. I mean, that's what the camera work <laughs> and the, the it did face.
2: look kind of like a porn. Now, thinking about it,
1: it's like you know when you have a film, and uh, uh, you know all of the sudden you know you're eyeballing the shit out of someone, and you're looking at all of their kind of individual parts, and mm-hmm. uh, you you get quiet, and your pupils dilate, you start to sweat. I mean, there's a certain reading there. Yeah,
2: no. The camera shoots to the guy's shoulders, which show his little like insignia, his like little pilot uh, yeah uniform. His and little epaulets. And then it switches to his name tag, which also has got like a little pilot, you know, wings or whatever. And then, you know, but it does it does kind of look like, ooh, who is this? A broad-shouldered man in uniform uh kind yeah. of feel to it, uh if if you want to look at it that way. But yeah, they keep zooming in it, it, to it, his it, to it, his, uh, his pilot uh signals.
1: And and around that time uh the guy says to the pilot, Sir, I just wanted to be the first to tell you or something like that. Wanted you to be the first to know the United States has just killed Osama bin Laden for you. Mm-hmm. And the pilot turns to the co-pilot and they have this hard handshake. And I, I mean, it's the lamest, <laughs> just most ridiculous. Oh, it's so cringy.
2: Oh, what are you doing, dude? Kind of funny. Well, like at the time, presumably it played and people were like, epic, this is epic.
1: And and at the time, that's how, that's certainly how <laughs> it was read.
2: I always think about these period pieces not all i know i i almost never do but just now i thought about this in the context of of matt chrisman watching (laughs) this like in the moment yeah because you know like he was around like actually consuming this shit but seemingly at the time consuming it in 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 a world of his own yeah you know like not a place on the internet where he can like lampoon it and just, just thinking about him just driving himself insane.
1: Just like, I mean, he just must have just like, screamed. Yeah, he's, he's like, does no one else see this? Am I crazy?
2: Am I crazy? Is this not fucking just just, just disgusting and bizarre and just, just, just makes you want to die? Fucking lame. It's just <laughs> there's, awful. There, there's no one to listen to his rants because it's yeah. like 2003. And but see, no this is why anymore.
1: irony shit posting had to happen. I know. These people got on Twitter and they found each other they because were like, they were the only people who were like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. What am I seeing? What?
2: <laughs> I can't be the only one to not be inspired by this and in fact uh, find it to be just absolutely just just hideous. Um, I
1: mean there's a, there's something about a person that may, that puts them in the irony shit posting vein and I think that uh, for a lot of those people I mean I guess debate kind of turned me into an irony shit poster in a certain respect because it you know it leads you to kind of be skeptical in general of of the messages that you receive about anything. Uh, but you know, there's something that predisposes you to it. But yeah, but, no,
2: I think the, the the thickness of the culture, yeah, d- definitely, so inescapable. Yeah, definitely p- points you to. This is the only breath of fresh air there is cuz this the earnestness everywhere else is so overwhelming and also like bad. bad. It's not just like, oh well, you know, uh, I I uh, I'm just a critic and and people who believe things. It's like, know. no, th- this this this, this tool was yes, this sucks and is being <laughs> used to promote like shit that killing hundreds of thousands of people um i
1: guess a good forerunner to irony shit posting is beavis and butthead they would uh in the beavis and butthead original program they they would watch music videos and just rag on them Mm -hmm. uh well the one i remember really well is like they're watching a danzig video Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) and, and, and like you know the the joke is they're teenagers who think this is awesome uh but uh you know, obviously the, the creators did not think, you know, they're like, oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And it's like tiny, short little Danzig and like hardcore heavy metal goth armor. Mm-hmm. And they're like, fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> <And you're> like, <laughs> no, that's good.
2: Yeah. It just sort of takes the air out of the. Yeah. It just
1: completely deflates it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like that's, that's kind of a forerunner, but. You know, if you were around during eleven uh, you know, and then the period immediately following, and even leading into the Iraq War, there just weren't that many people who who were critical in that way. Like the first critic I remember is Cindy Sheehan, and she was not new shit posting; she was entirely earnest.
2: Well, yeah, her son had died in Iraq, and, um, and people
1: hated her.
2: Yeah, you didn't really get a lot of alternative things. I mean, remember, like even in two thousand four, when the Democrats were running to knock out Bush they nominated a guy who supported the iraq war and who's the whole thing was just like he did the iraq war bad i would have done the iraq war good yeah like that that's like as far as they're willing to go and of course now if you run and you're someone who supported the war that's like a negative on you um though maybe not a disqualifying negative seeing as Hillary got the nod um, yeah. and Biden is, is leading but it's definitely like presented as a negative and and, and something that they denounce yeah. you know like Hillary was like that was a bad vote I was misled or whatever uh, Biden I don't mean to jump into the debate coverage but he had this whole thing <laughs> about it in which he was like Bush told me that if I authorize the use of military force, then that will give him a bargaining chip at the UN. Okay. And then okay. by God, instead of that, he just he just used military force. All right. It's like, oh, you the dumbest no, I,
1: I, I thing. I think we can turn to the debate uh, at this point. Well,
2: did we want to do the debate or do we want to do uh, undercover billionaire?
1: Well, we'll get there.
2: Okay, you want uh, we'll, to we'll, we'll get there. with that one? Uh, okay. We
1: had the third democratic debate in Houston.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and
1: Beto said a cuss. It's pronounced
2: Houston, actually. No,
1: it's not. It's Houston. Mm. Sam Houston. Mm. Uh, Beto said hell, if I can say that.
2: Mm, yeah, okay. well, he was on uh, network TV, so. H-E
1: double hockey sticks. He
2: had to keep it under control. He
1: wound everybody up because they knew that his new thing is cussing.
2: He didn't want to get a FCC fine.
1: <laughs> and he, and he, he just leaned into the mic and said hell.
2: Yeah, he should have said Bitch, because that's that's I think the most <laughs> that's I think the most severe one you can say on yeah. normal TV. How
1: would you work that into a speech about gun control?
2: I, you know, I haven't thought it out, but I mean, he's mm. got a whole team of advisors, you know, that could have done that. Probably the
1: NRA is a bitch. Oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, oh yeah, you know, when he was like, <laughs> I'm gonna take those AR-14s and AK-47s. He's gonna be. He should have just been like, every bitch who owns that gun. <laughs> I'm saying it right now. I'm going to take that gun from you.
1: Bitch. Bitch.
2: That's what (laughs) they should have done.
1: I think that that congressman with an eye patch would have killed him. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, How can he aim
2: his gun? He only has one eye. <laughs>
1: he only has a depth perception issues. I certainly. know.
2: He should be disqualified.
1: Uh, and then Biden, uh, his, his eye didn't fill with blood again, but his teeth almost fell out.
2: I heard this thing about teeth, but I, I haven't seen the video of his teeth coming no, out.
1: I, I saw the video. He's popping his dentures back into place with his lips. I know this look very well because I can do the same thing with my Invisalign dress. Yeah, yeah
2: I used to have a retainer, so I know.
1: You can, you know, this come and You just kind of pop it back and he does that briefly and and the teeth are and they do look like dentures they're like pearly white i'm sure
2: he has dentures
1: extremely straight uh and so that was kind of noticeable and then in another odd moment he just completely lost his mind (laughs) answering a question about uh segregation
2: oh yeah 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 no she uh the moderator asks him you know or she gives him a quote that he gave like 40 years ago in which he's basically like
1: I'm not going to apologize. I I'm
2: ain't, ain't paying shit. I ain't yeah. paying shit uh, about racism and whatnot. That ain't on me. Um which whatever, that was 40 years ago, I guess. Um and and then <laughs> she's like, "We want to I want to ask you a question about, you know, racism and education or whatever." And he just he just laughs. <laughs> his laugh, that's his yeah. response as he laughs it's it really was a real sick really sick thing um, but then yeah he um, he she, you know she basically goes on to talk about you know whatever reparation not reparations explicitly but that's what she's getting at and whatever and he he, he just goes into saying you know what I'm gonna triple title one funding to poor schools and you're like okay I you know all mm-hmm. right, I mean, not sufficient, obviously, for at all, but makes sense. Okay, see yeah. where you're headed with it, and then he just goes off the rails, and he's like, "But it's not just schools, oh, and not just we can make like the best schools for poor kids, which, by the way, he's already equating poverty with yeah, with blackness, which you know, obviously, mm-hmm. there are many Latino poor, so there are more poor white people than there are of any other group just as a raw number um but nonetheless you know he's kind of gone that route um talking about title one and then and then for whatever reason he just decides to go up on the spiel in which he's saying but it's not just the schools and the teachers you know they get all these problems they can't deal with we're also uh, gonna you know social workers need to go to the homes of poor f- parents and teach them You know, it's it's not that the parents don't don't want to teach their kids right and raise them right. It's it's that they don't know how, and when the social workers are going to teach them how, Um, and then at some point in this process, he deviates to saying that he's gonna the social workers are going to teach them that they need to run the record player. Uh um, (laughs) You need
1: to leave the record player on.
2: Yeah, which is like you know five generations back or so odd in terms of uh music playing technology but then the reason the record player needs to run is so they can hear words because he was getting ready f- to talk about this factoid about how you know poor kids l- hear four million fewer words or something like that i've never run this factoid down but it's certainly it's a, one you hear a popular in like sort of the ted ted talk culture um But, you know, it was a total disaster, obviously, uh, to, (laughs) I mean, if you follow the, oh, he also finishes the question with some shit about Venezuela. I mean, his mind is just- to
1: protect the children from Maduro. His mind is
2: just all over the place. But if you, like, try to piece it together, he's basically like, uh, among other things, we're gonna send social workers into black households to teach them how to raise their kids, because they don't know how. And in particular, they need to be playing the record player. Um, and it just seems to be, I mean, I, I actually know what he's talking about because back in the day with AFDC, Aid to Families with Dependent Children, which yeah. doesn't really exist anymore. They used to have home visits. Uh, but it was like a, something the right wing was interested in for the most part and like really like... That, that is the kind of thing you cite when you're like um we need to have like a universal welfare state because this when you don't you get this kind of shit it's super paternalistic yeah because yeah. like if everyone just got like a child allowance instead of aid to families with dependent children only for poor single mothers who have earnings below a certain level or whatever if everyone got a child allowance we wouldn't be home visiting Every family and trying to like determine whether their house is clean enough. Yeah, or, I mean, I didn't
1: even know um, I was supposed to be having the record player on all night.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't even own a record player. Where do I even oh buy shit. one?
1: our um, kids seem okay and and we haven't ever played <laughs> a record at them,
2: and so like this is like it's not it's like it, it's it, this is like retro ass like like 80s and 90s style like right-wing paternalist welfare that was opposed even at the time by like more liberal-leaning members of Congress. And it's like resurrected now some 15 years. Like not really 15, it's more like 20 plus years. Like it hasn't even been a thing. And he doesn't even seem to be aware that home visits aren't a thing really anymore except for, you know, CPS or something like that. Um and it's and it's a, it's offensive also, to suggest that they're needed, um, you know, just because someone's poor. Yeah, like, it's reasonable to say some parents are abusive or whatever, and the state needs to step in. But having low earnings doesn't make you abusive or <laughs> that you know make you unable to you know be kind to your children and and you know give them what they need and so on um psychologically and emotionally and whatnot um but you know
1: and it's disturbing that that's where biden is uh extreme. he also had so many other like crazy
2: yeah he called bernie the president which is true and then he called him my friend vermont (laughs) which is also true he called barack the barack
1: <laughs> i agree number of times i'm endorsing all of this actually uh, <laughs> the barack
2: <laughs> the teeth i mean like he's just he's collapsing right in front of us
1: <laughs> and they're gonna nominate him
2: like it's oh, crazy like God. it's like you're watching it's like do you guys see <laughs> oh, this man fuck. he's like he's his mind is just melting right <laughs> on fucking teeth right on fucking <laughs> national tv It's just (laughs) oozing out of his ears.
1: They're going to nominate him. And then I go and read
2: the New York Times today and they have, you know, I forget the guy (laughs) who wrote it. He's like, the only thing the critics of Biden have is ageism. That's why they're focused on it. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you really, are we going to sit here and just watch this man just sort of (laughs) bumble into total just like late level dementia <laughs> like just doesn't really know where he is yeah. he is he he frequently can't recall names even the name of barack obama the barack the he, well, he calls him the the barack, the barack here other times he's called him rap rock obama <laughs> he also just clearly at some points would just goes like the uh the, the president the president, president you know yeah you know who, we all know who, his name well um, you know who um, I knew like to just watch this and like this is where people are going to go with it they're going to be like calling someone who whose mental uh position is in complete collapsing decline that's ageism sorry you can't be like your brain doesn't work (laughs) because that's ageism Whatever um, the
1: reason that your mind is collapsed, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Bernie's old and he, you know, he's not. Well, that's what's so insane about Delaware. this.
2: That's what, we have a comparator, right? Yeah. Like normally someone will you, you'll do some. Someone will do something and they'll they'll like suggest that. I don't know. Um, oh, oh, uh, well. Let's use an example of Joe Biden himself. Uh, back in two thousand eight, he he was he was he called Barack Obama uh, clean and articulate. Oh no, right? And yeah. like normally, you would say something. Be like, well, if you're trying to be like, oh, that had nothing to do with the race. I would say that to anyone. I say that to I say it to white people. I say it to Asian people. I, that that's not a race thing. Um, and you're like, okay, sure, man, I guess. I mean, I've never heard you do that, but I mean maybe hypothetically we would. Um, you know, who knows? Like that that's like a but here we don't have to have a hypothetical because we've got other people on the stage that are just as old as Joe, and no one talks about their age or seems you know what I mean? Like so we have a comparator. We have a man who's who is old and his brain is completely collapsing? And then we have an, uh, another man and a woman who are uh, similarly aged, and their brains seem to be very sharp. And people only yeah. talk about his yeah. brain, so yeah. it can't be. It right. cannot it's be not age. Simple prejudice. Yeah, and it's and no one's like, well, he's old. He must be. He must be. Uh, he must have Alzheimer's or something. People are like, he's saying rap rock Obama, <laughs> and and just blurting out like. I'm the vice president like just uh, for fucking no reason to
1: to my friend Vermont. (laughs) (laughs) He
2: can't get a couple of, he can't string two or three sentences together without just realize
1: we're not using record players, not the late uh, seventies anymore.
2: Yes. Well, that's, that's such an, that's such a dementia type kind of living in the past, right? (laughs) Like he's not living the past. He like, he just like, he, you know, he can't recall. So he's speaking as if it's still the seventies. Um, and, you know.
1: <laughs> it's rough. And I, I imagine Tom Perez watching that and being like, we just have to. It's our only choice. And it could decline.
2: It could get so much worse. It you can know? do that very rapidly. Um, so we could find ourselves in that situation. And, and But, you know, the consensus is that Castro uh, uh, needling him for not being able to remember something he said two minutes ago. That's that's ageism.
1: Castro bullied him.
2: That's an ageism.
1: I saw that. People were like, did Castro go too far? I'm like, no, bitch. He's doing a kamikaze move to try to save the country. He didn't go
2: far enough. I mean, we need someone to go up there, ask him like basic questions like, where are we? Um...
1: Uh, What's Mr. five times
2: three, <laughs> Mr. Vice President? Um, can you
1: say the alphabet backwards? What you can, you year can is
2: it? Like, and just just <laughs> like you know, someone needs to do a diagnostic, like in real, you know that that's that's how far someone needs to go with it. Yeah, um,
1: it was not a good scene. Who's the vice president? Me. <laughs> <laughs> I am. my oh. vice president. <laughs> okay. All right, sir. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the sad thing about it. I- in all seriousness, I- is that. This is a guy who has kind of outlived his context. Uh, the the politics of Joe Biden is just barely hanging on by a thread. And he should be, you know, spending his, his dotage happily, you know, living out his last years thinking I did a good job. I was part of a, a well-respected administration, uh, doing little speaking events at colleges, giving keynotes and commencement addresses instead he's going to get raked over the coals because he's running for president while kind of slipping you know and and that's sad to see like you know i don't want to be doing this either any more than anyone else does it's the it's the fact that this dude doesn't actually seem competent in key ways that's that's disturbing and puts you in the position of kind of you know criticizing an old guy which you know nobody wants to be that guy but well, he, yeah
2: but he's also i mean he's just a bad dude like separately well, yes, from yes, that yes. like uh, you know I, uh, but it is also I'm, I'm not being like even if you like his policies you should no. oppose him because his brain is slipping um like i'm just observing that also his brain is slipping and it's kind of hilarious <laughs> and it would just going to be a, like like i'm standing like uh, you know, a hundred yards away from train tracks and I see two trains just coming right at each other, you know, Trump, Biden, and I'm just like
1: oh. <laughs> <laughs> All you can do is get your phone out. Uh, all right, <laughs>
2: get the phone out pink.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like <And> everybody <laughs> is watching your TikTok and hear you laughing in the back. <laughs> you're looking
2: around and everyone else is just kinda chilling they're reading the newspaper, Where's you're like this you, be fine. Do you guys not see that this is this do you not see this? Like the the you know. But.
1: What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> I guess you have an old guy with dementia debating an old guy with tertiary syphilis. Trump
2: is not going to take it. Uh, no, Trump <laughs> will. On him?
1: Even though Trump himself is dementia. Oh yeah, he,
2: but he doesn't care. He
1: he's he's uh, he's got a certain sharpness around insult comedy. Yeah, uh, which he will uh, certainly unleash. Uh, you know, it was I miss Marianne. Uh, she's been going off on Twitter, uh, which I enjoy. Uh, Everybody else, uh, you know, Bernie did well, uh, Warren did well, defended Medicare for all, uh, you know, and then who, you know, Klobuchar's new thing is, you know, I've got to be the bad guy, I've got to be the mom here. And say that no, we can't have good things, and like that's her. I don't know. She'll get a bump. Mm, yeah, out of it that, was boring. That, I mean, other, other
2: than the only spectacle that's interesting in the debate at this point, especially given that there's ten people, and like yeah. is is just to watch Biden, just you know, see if they can ask him questions that'll short out his is 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 uh, you know, declining mental faculties. Um, that's basically. What yeah. is entertaining about them at this point, um, but you know,
1: we'll uh, we'll keep you updated on the debates. And uh, I know you're all clamoring to hear about what's going on on Undercover Billionaire.
2: Yeah, so I missed it last week, and there were people saying, "What's the deal? I need to know what Mister. Glensterns is up to in Erie, Pennsylvania." For those who uh, don't listen to every podcast, brief recap. Uh Glenn Stearns is a billionaire. He made his money on a mortgage uh, company. And uh, he decided, uh, we actually learned in this episode, uh, I don't know if we learned or, or if he was just kind of bullshitting this a little bit, but uh, in the current episode, he accidentally tell someone who he is in an email like he signs his email with his real name and so then he's got to go do damage control and be like hey like i know i signed my name i know you saw it you probably googled it but i need you to like be quiet about it because we're doing this experiment and so on and he convinces him to do it and and in the process of convincing him to do it he says one of the reasons i'm doing is this is because people have said that i was just lucky with the mortgage company which like obviously he was um but that does. That was an interesting insight because before he was like, "I want to prove the American dream is still real." Like that. That's like the actual premise of the show as it's pitched is this billionaire wants to go show you that you can, you can go out and make your millions too, still in America. Is but you know, in in a similar way as Undercover Millionaire had this sort of not, I mean, Undercover Boss had this sort of ideological content to it. That was how it's presented. But then here in the the latest episode, in a very personal moment, he's really just like, I'm very insecure because some people say I'm a billionaire because I just got lucky. Um, And so I want to prove to them that I could start another company if I needed to. Anyways, he goes to Erie, Pennsylvania, has $100, a truck and a phone, and he's supposed to start a million-dollar business in 90 days, the process so far. Uh, last time I talked, he found, some, he found some tires and sold them. He used that money to buy a car and flip it. He used that money to buy another car and flip it. And he used that money to get a down payment on a home. Of course, it's hard to understand how he's doing all of this undercover because a lot of it couldn't be done legally. It's hard to understand how he got a mortgage for his house when he is both undercover and also has no demonstrable income or assets. Um, like flipping cars like that's not a thing you could take to a bank and be like here's my car flipping income that i've only uh you know done two cars with like please you know extrapolate that out to an annual figure like that's that's something you, you could do but nonetheless um he's got this house and then this is from two episodes ago since i didn't cover the last episode and he's trying to flip this thing and one of the interesting thing about um the house situation Uh, It's not just the house situation. It's really, it's also the restaurant because eventually he decides that he's gonna uh, start a barbecue restaurant, uh, sell some beer at it or or, or something like that called Undercover Barbecue. And the reason he's flipping the house is to get more capital to sort of start that up. it's
1: Underdog Barbecue, not Undercover Barbecue. Underdog Barbecue, (laughs) yeah.
2: Sorry. Um, And anyways, what's weird about this, okay, he's got like maybe eight people basically working for him as part of this business he does not pay any of them anything and i assume they're getting some ownership stake in underdog llc or whatever the hell it is like none of this is articulated like you don't get a sense of like who's this guy who's like his beer man what is his stake in this who's
1: the guy with the face tats
2: the guy with the face tattoo who runs a t shirt shop who is kind of one of his deputies. <laughs> like all these people are working for him and you get no sense of what they're getting out of it. Like they didn't explain, oh yeah, I gave them all ten percent equity or something like that. They're just they're just sort of doing it. And the person who is really driving the most value in this and generating the most money for, you know, underdog LLC or whatever, is this lady Dawn who Basically, flipped the house by herself. She's like an interior decorator, and then she's also going to design the restaurant. All of this for no pay. And she's getting super stressed out. She's probably done, you know, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 hours maybe of labor, and he's not paying her at all. Um, And like, she's really the one that's generating the value at this point. and that's kind of interesting. I don't know. It's like it's like he can kind of say I'm starting this bill business because I'm sorta of the captain who's coordinating all these people, but like obviously he these other people are generating all the value and he's not paying them. And that's really how he's able to kinda of keep his cash flow positive. Like if he had to pay Don what her labor was worth for this renovation that she did to the house that he flipped i mean what kind of profit would he have made in that house flip probably very little
1: i mean you know Um, there's a lesson here about how capitalism works yeah
2: there is there is um but anyways in the last episode the prior episode he does flip the house i think he bought it for like 45 flipped it for 75 he had to put ten thousand dollars into it uh to do the renovations and of course uh don does a bunch of uncompensated labor as part of this so he nets you know 20 grand from that um and then we get to the current episode and these episodes are really starting to stretch out like there was a lot of kind of discrete action in the first ones where it's like all right he's secured a house all right he's got his cars and he's got you know and 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 now it's just kind of like he's just trying to get his barbecue restaurant going and like this is just kind of slow and plodding and kind of boring um one interesting part about the new so the new episode uh the uh, this week revolves around rib fest, which is a rib festival in erie pennsylvania and they've decided that rib fest is where they're really going to kind of have their i don't know first big kind of grand opening right they don't have a restaurant yet so they're going to go to Ribfest, fest cook a bunch of ribs sell them you know, market themselves, et cetera. And if they get a really good reception, then when they have a grand opening for the restaurant, they'll have people ready to go. Right? Like that's the basic uh, gist of it. And you know, that's all well and good. But there were a couple of period, a couple of interactions in the latest show. Again, like I've said, there's not a lot of action going on. So it's there's a kind of a lot of like little social. Pieces to it um that are kind of sickening so he, they don't know how to make good barbecue necessarily and they don't know how to really prepare for rib fest necessarily so they hire a consultant who's done rib fest before and he's like driving in a car with him at one point and this consultant who's kind of a working class guy i guess is like i see those rich guys with their yachts and they don't have to work and they just kind of sit around and smoke cigars or whatever and you're like, Hell yeah, hell yeah, this is that good shit. Tell Glenn Stearns what you think about him. Uh and then Glenn is like, Well, when you look at that person, how do you feel? And the guy's like, I feel good. I'm 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 glad <laughs> for him. I'm I'm glad, you know, he he worked hard and he made it. And I'm I'm just real, real happy for that guy. And you're like, Oh god, this shit. Um And then he kind of does this again with the guy who he reveals his name to. This guy is like a metal worker, and this metal worker is making the smoker for Ribfest and the smoker for the restaurant, I guess. And this metal worker, he kind of owns his own shop. He's making all this for free. And he's like, man, I, I had to cancel a vacation to make this guy a free smoker because I believe in his mission. And you're like, that's real sicko shit. This is a billionaire who you're canceling your vacation for to make him a free smoker so that he can prove.
1: Bullshit for a reality show.
2: Yeah, for a reality show. And then this guy figures out who he is and he's kind of pissed, right? I, I talked about this earlier. So Glenn has to go in and talk him down and be like, don't tell everyone. This is really important. And the guy is just like, just fucking takes it. And he's like, you know, I was real upset. But, you know, Glenn says he's going to start a business here. And then, you know, yeah, he's going to leave, obviously, but that business is going to still be here. And this is the kind of thing I think we should do. And I, and I believe in the American dream, and I know it's really hard, and so I support the mission and so on. And he just is like, fine, like he, you know, he could have blown this shit all up, and he just decides not to. Now, I don't know behind the scenes, do they pay this guy or, or something like that. But as it's presented, you're just like, this is awful at least i am like this guy is basically probably done just like don (laughs) you know 40 some odd free hours of labor for this guy to make him this big badass smoker gets nothing from it doesn't even seem to get an ownership stake in underdog llc from it cancels his vacation to do all this and then the guy's like ha, yeah i was a billionaire all along i'm just doing this for kicks because you know i want to prove to people that my first company wasn't just a fluke Again, and he's like
1: all right all right that's cool you know it only it only hammers home important lessons about capitalism
2: it does but it's also like you look at these guys and you're like you're dumb as shit dude if a billionaire if i first off i'm not doing i'm not going to do a free smoker for someone who's wants to start a business like you're gonna have to give me something equity or or something like that um but then if i found out the dude wasn't paying me and he was a billionaire and the reason he wasn't paying me is basically because he has this weird ass bet this like this sort of like egotistical bet about how he can make a million dollar company in 90 days yeah and i've and i would be fucking furious to be like hell no dude i'm gonna blow up this whole fucking show unless you give me like at least you know 20 grand or something (laughs) um like you know all this production all this i'm gonna go tell every fucker in this show and this guy you know as presented did not do that he was just like, no i believe in glenn and so, you know, I don't know on some level, I guess if, if, if this is all accurate, you got to be like, man, Glenn is right. He's a fucking genius, but in not a.
1: he doesn't mind just using people. Right, right. Like not a morally genius. Bankrupt, a, yeah.
2: Yeah. In the sense that he knows how to be super productive or he's like a technical expert in any area, but just that he's a fucking master manipulator who can get people to work for him for, for free or whatever. Yeah. And, and um, his
1: conscience doesn't get in the way. But Sick man, Glenn. That's where Sick we are.
2: Man. Next episode, there's going to be Ribfest. And like I said, everything's gotten a lot slower here at the end. It seems like we clipped through the first 50 of the 90 days like in like two or three episodes. And now we're like barely scraping through like three or four days uh, every episode. But the preview suggests that Ribfest is going to be quite a stressful event you know, catastrophe maybe. Ooh. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how that goes, but.
1: All right. Check back in next week for more. All right. Bye. Everyone. Bye. Bye.